0: And when we're with goodness long enough, that's what tells us what is true about the world.
1: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Kurt Thompson is a psychiatrist and founder of Being Known, an organization that develops resources for hope and healing at the intersection of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. His insights in his books, The Soul of Shame and The Soul of Desire, are incredibly helpful for anybody who does creative work. I'm exceedingly glad that Kurt Thompson agreed to join me on The Habit Podcast. Kurt Thompson, I'm so happy that you are on The Habit Podcast this morning. Jr.,
0: thank you for having me. I'm I'm just, as, as we said in our uh, kind of pre-recording time, I it's it's such an honor. I, this is the first time I've actually had a formal encounter with the folks at the Rabbit Room uh-huh. and uh, and and on your podcast. And I I'm I'm just so uh, moved and grateful for all the work that you folks are doing. And so I'm I'm just it's just uh, it's humbling and an honor to be here. So I'm uh. To well, thanks for saying so. This. Yeah,
1: yeah. When you were in Nashville back in the fall uh, at a conference, I was at hmm. that conference. Heard you speak. You and- were. Yeah, I was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I uh, just about, I don't know how many people I knocked over trying to get to the book table to get your books. Uh, <laughs> because, and and the Soul of Shame and the Soul of Desire have, uh, I just think those are incredibly helpful mm-hmm. books. Um, mm-hmm. Have really uh, done me a lot of good. And so, you know, I was... Uh, there's so much in these books that's relevant to people who do creative work. Um, I mean, there's also people who do parenting work and every other kind of work. But but I um, um, just want to spend some time. My goal for this conversation is I really want to dig into how some of these ideas that are so uh, important for anybody are mm-hmm. specifically important for people who are writers or doing other <laughs> kinds of creative work. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of uh, what I want to do, right, in the next forty minutes or so. Right on. Um. So I, I want to. Say, I mean, you're a you're a neuroscient- uh, Well, are you a neuro? Do we call you a neuroscientist? Do <laughs> we just call you a people a call me many things. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, I, I mean, I, when people ask what I do for a living, I tell them I'm a psychiatrist. That, that's that's uh-huh. what I do. I mean, the most most of my I mean, my work has largely been around uh, general psychiatry. I take care. I mean, in, 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 in adolescents and adults and families, and we do a lot of group work as the you know, soul of desire points out. Um, yeah. but, uh, so that's a lot of what I do. And, and I, and I, I, I also describe myself as a translator. So, huh. um, in, in today's world, uh, am I a neuroscientist like that? That definition fits in that my, mm. uh, you know, I, I think in those terms and in, uh-huh. in that world, um, but my, my work, I think, um, in my writing and speaking work, I think my work primarily is that as a translator. That's one of the uh-huh. things I think I do, trying to take uh-huh. basic fundamental neuroscience research that we have available. And how does that, uh, what implications does that have for us in practical ways? And specifically, what does it mean for us uh, as people who believe we live in the biblical world? Uh But that's the reality that we live in. And what are are the implications for God's creation? How does God's creation, the neuroscience that God has made and and how we operate, how our brains and relationships operate with each other, how does knowing more about that and knowing how that works, how does that help support and fuel our imaginative processes in becoming the people that God is longing for us to become? In Jesus. And one of the things that we really have been trying to talk about more specifically and explicitly even in our practice in recent years is this notion that, you know, people come into the practice because they have all kinds of problems. Uh-huh. But what we really want to do is to turn their attention as soon as it is possible in a direction wherein which they're reframing why they're seeing us, reframing it not so much as I'm here to solve a problem, but as answering the question, what is the next artifact of beauty that God is longing to create in and through me, partnering with me to do these kind of like, because we were made ultimately to make things. Yeah, we were made to create artifacts of beauty and goodness. And that, you know, the, the people on that you're that this podcast represents writers and creatives, like it's um, they're the you know the the, the vanguard of, uh, of, of this of this thing yeah. that God makes in Genesis one and two
1: yeah i I remember in uh in uh, probably the soul of desire you, you talk about a, a couple that was their marriage was in crisis and and you ask them the question i think you ask everybody this question, what's the next beautiful thing that you think is yours to to make and and they're kind of like wait a minute we're we're in crisis here we're not talking about making beauty we're talking about you know and, and that reframing is is, uh, I, I just think it's, I think it's so helpful. So can we talk about brain structure for a minute? Sure. Um, yeah. left brain, right brain. I've heard about left brain, right brain my whole life. And, you know, and mm. I've always known, I'm, I'm using quotation marks here, that the left brain is about math and science and engineering, you know, STEM, science, technology, mm-hmm. Engineering, mm-hmm. math, and mm-hmm. over on the right side of the brain, that's language and creativity and all that kind of stuff. And the way you talk about it, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if you originated this, if you're, if you're getting it from somewhere else, but the way you talk about the left brain and right brain, I think is so helpful. The left brain is where we identify problems and solve problems, and the right brain is about being present. Is that a, mm-hmm. is that a fair summary of, of the way you talk yeah, about
0: it? I, yeah, I, th- I think that, um, you know, kind of, we've we generally... Come to this awareness that the right and left brain kind of do these particular things, and they mm-hmm. do them differently. And and indeed, uh, at the end of the day, they emerge in each person to have these what we would call differentiated tasks. Mm-hmm. They're different, like we like we kind of like to say, like you know, if you have if you want to have a symphony, you have different sections of the orchestra that do they're they're separate things. Uh, they. Uh, but they're all playing music. Huh. They, they, they have this thing in common. And one of the things that you recognize is that the right and the left brain actually are quite capable of doing each other's tasks. Huh. I mean, they're, it, you know, developmentally, over the course of time, they begin to uh, kind of diverge in the course of events in terms of the things that they end up doing. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, if you have a stroke, on the left side of your brain, in the language center, people have aphasia. We have trouble. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that like, well, because that happened, then you can't pick up speech again because other parts of the brain can pick this up and go and do this because the brain is flexible to do this. The work of uh, Ian McGilchrist uh, is the work that I cite a fair bit. And, and what, what he pays attention to is, and, and he's very clear in, in his work that, the right and the left brain in many respects are very similar, can do similar things. Uh-huh. But one way in which they are different is the way they pay attention to the world. Mm-hmm. So as you rightly said, my with, my with my right hemisphere that tends to come online and develop first developmentally, I'm okay. not that much farther in advance than the left. But when I'm born and up to the first 18 to 24 months of life, my right hemisphere is the one that is doing most of the work for me as a newborn and infant. And it is that part of my brain in which I am very present with the world, mm-hmm. this withness that we have. And my left brain eventually comes online in order to help me see the world as a, something that is separate from me. I can uh-huh. analyze it. I can see it as separate in order for me to manipulate it.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And when I say manipulate here, I don't mean that in a bad sense. I mean that in a right. sense of like, I want to manipulate a tool in order to fix my door. Right. I need to manipulate this. and But what McGilchrist stresses is that when we are flourishing, the left brain is always working in the support, ultimately, of what the right brain is trying to do, which is consistent with the way the brain actually works because we like to say that in the, in the world, we first we sense things, uh-huh. and then we make sense of what we sense. I'm yeah. going to understand it. But first, I must sense it before I understand. I don't understand something. for This is why good preaching always begins with good stories, uh-huh. because I first have to sense something before theology is going to mean anything to me viscerally, before uh-huh. it's going to be life-changing. So we say the brain operates bottom to top and right to left. First, I sense things coming up the spinal cord, brain stem, limbic circuitry into my right hemisphere. It transfers over to the left. Or my left, then makes sense of it, and it makes sense in order to support the then ongoing notion of coming back to being with you. Yes, I need to know how to fix my flat tire, but it is so I can go, I can fix my tire to go pick up my wife at the airport because I want to be with her. And what McGilchrist also points out is that unfortunately in our world, and I, you know, he he says that since you know the Renaissance, it's really kind of been moving in this downhill trend but we might say that from the garden of Eden, yeah. it's been doing this this sense that god wants us this is how god has made us bottom to top and right to left first we sense and then we make sense of what we sense in order for us to more fully live in the sensing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but what we have done is that we have given the left hemisphere and its way of being in the world its capacity to manipulate its capacity to control uh-huh. it has now kind of overreached its boundary. And now I want to control. I want to be in charge of, I want to manipulate it. And so the being with you uh, is pushed to the side. And now uh, the left hemisphere has like usurped its role. So, because if I can know that, I know that I know, I know all these things, then I don't need to take the risk of needing you. Uh Uh-huh. Because it is interpersonal relationships that are the things that burn me, in the first uh, place.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, um, and so the the capacity to identify and solve problems and manipulate on the left side, you, you say in, in a flourish when we're flourishing. Um, of course, that's that is exceedingly necessary to to identify <laughs> and solve problems. Um, yeah, but it's for the purpose of being present, existing, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to
0: find a solution to the COVID virus in order for us to be able to have parties together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I want to, I want to make new
0: software in order for us to, yeah, it's all about what are, what are the relationships (laughs) doing? Yeah.
1: And hopefully I'm not making new software by which I can now manipulate the world and, and, and make people put ideas in people's heads and, and, um, Sell them. Right like and stuff that and, right. Mean.
0: And this is but but and this is what's difficult because evil, as we were saying earlier, evil is like it's the second smartest force on the planet. And I, I don't I don't believe for a moment that there are you know consciously acting sinister you know plotters at Amazon and Google who are trying to do this, but like that is exactly what they're doing. Right. Yeah. That that is what that is what the engine as a whole begins to do. And we don't recognize this uh until it's too late, which is why artists and writers Are so important because even when I'm in the middle of a problem that is bigger than I even understand it to be, Mm -hmm. I try to think my way out of that. And I do that pretty ineffectively because I don't see that the ultimate problem is one of relational brokenness, not one of I just don't have enough information. And it's the writers, it's the artists who circumvent that left hemisphere and come knocking on the door of the right brain. (laughs) and wake us up to things that we didn't know we didn't know. Yeah. And they do it in a way that catches us by surprise, that catches us off guard. But when we are caught by that, we know literally in our very solar plexus that something about what I'm encountering is true to the world. Yeah. That no amount of extra information is necessarily going to be able to compete with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. These ideas are inspiring to the, to the work of, you know, writers, artists, they, you, you are, you're making a case for why their work is important. Our work is important. Talk to me also about how these insights equip um, writers and artists to do better work. You know, I I like to, I often talk about uh, storytelling and writing in terms of problem solving, Right. You, you've, mm-hmm. You're solving. You've got a narrative problem. You, you apply your creative thinking to it. You solve the, the narrative problem. Um, your, you know, your, your distinction between left brain and, and right brain. The way you talk about it gave me pause. But, the, but then I was like, no, actually, that's I'm still I'm still hanging in there with this. I think that's a helpful way to think about storytelling as especially when you put it in terms of we solve these problems so that we can now have this thing of beauty. Well, I think like, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you really pointed out well. So if I want to
0: write a novel or a short story, I, I long for that work of art
1: mm -hmm. to
0: ultimately do the very things that we're talking about. Yeah. But in order to pull that off, like writing a good short story is really hard work. And you have to think about, like, you have to manipulate things. You have to analyze. It's like fixing, it's like changing the tire. It's like fixing your your computer. Like, you really have to work hard at your craft. Like, you are analyzing this over and over. Like, you are doing all this hard work, even in the context of creativity.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, it's like creativity, like 90% sweat, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah. perspiration, inspiration—what like Edison or whatever—and yeah, right. and this this notion that for artists, uh, what what I would want them to know is is that the the hard work of their craft it leads to giving people the opportunity to have that encounter uh-huh. that. Is not going to happen if they're not willing to put in the hours and the sweat equity and all the, el- you know, the, the, the elbow grease of whatever the particular <laughs> skill set is that they have yeah. to put into, yeah. which, which is, is crucially important. And I also think it's, it's, it's important to know that like, when we talk about, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm writing, it's not like, oh, I sit down and I do two straight hours of only left hemispheric work. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, the brain's not working. like right. I mean, the right and the left brain are talking to each other constantly back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, at one level there is the part of me that is attuned to the task at hand the manipulative yeah. work at yeah. hand but it is always in conversation with it's always in the background it's always is always that, no you're writing a story the, sto- the the general story that i'm with and that is with me is always informing always circling back around to inform the task at hand but one of the you know one of the beautiful things about the rabbit room is that it creates a place where people can come together, right? People come together yeah. because, uh, if I'm a writer, if I'm really serious about my craft, I'm going to know that my craft is really hard to do. Yeah. And when I want to throw in a towel, because I can't, I, because I'm like, I'm stuck or because I'm like, whatever, uh, giving me more information. Go, oh, Kurt, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? is not going to be nearly as helpful as what it's like for me to be in a conversation with another writer who says, you know, sometimes this just sucks. Yeah. Sometimes this this is just, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's in that moment when our right hemispheres are connecting empathically with each other and my sense of distress about not having enough information about not knowing what to do. My sense of distress is lowered. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the withness. mess yeah, yeah, yeah. Of someone
1: you know I, I run a, a membership site for writers and I teach writing you know to writers and it occurs to me I spend a lot of my time talking about those left brain issues with I mean, we're gonna let's identify problems solve problems but I think the reason people stick around in the membership is that right brain you know I've got these I've got these like-minded people that I that I'm here with Um.
0: Well, we've like, look, look, I've been, I've been, I've been talking, we've been on the, we've been on this call now for a total of maybe 30 minutes. And I can tell you, like, I've, I've enjoyed this immensely. And I can't, like, if, if I, if, if writing were like the, the, the only thing I were doing, like, like, I, 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 I mean, of course getting good information for you would be important, but like, I would want to be in the room with you. I would want the information primarily. The information, in many respects, is really just the conduit through which I get to be in the room with you. Huh. Yeah, we think that I'm in the room with you to get the information, when actually the way we are wired is I really need the information in order to get in the room with you. That's what this is about. Huh. When we talk to th- when I talk to therapists. Uh, in training, in training therapists, I tell them like, look, you're going to have lots of technical skill sets that you're going to bring to the table that that you will truly be helpful for with patients. Lots of things. You're different. All those things. I said, but never forget that the most important thing that patients are coming to, coming to the room, they're coming for you. That's what they're coming for. Wow. And they know that's what they're coming for. Do the, do the, oh, heaven, oh heavens no! Because yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. knows. No, yeah. if 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 we if, if, if like if people actually knew that that's what they needed, like psychiatry probably would be out of a job, <laughs> because we would be you know we would we would be doing the things that we know that we actually need, which is connection,
1: right? Yeah.
0: And 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 not just connection for the sake of connection, but connection that pushes us to growth. Yeah. Right. I don't just need empathy. I need I need you to say to me, I really understand. I really understand. And now let's get up and go do this. Yeah. Right. It's Jesus and, the, you know, the, the cripple at the beautiful gate. Do you yeah. want to be healed? Do you want, do you want to walk again? Yeah. And he's like, he doesn't get the question, right? He yeah. won't answer his question. Yeah. Right? Jesus is like, he's, he's all about healing, but he's about moving this guy in a different direction. Yeah, and sometimes I'm just like you know it, it's like uh, <laughs> I also think about the the uh, the woman with the hemorrhaging right the woman with the bleeding problem and you know her plan is <laughs> that I, I just need the I just need to be healed yeah I just touch the hem of his garment and I and I'll just like slink back into the crowd and, and I'll be fine and he's having none of it yeah right and he, yeah. he's like oh that's part one of the healing now there's part two of the healing. Which is, I have work for you to do. So we're gonna like first. We're gonna who? who, who?
1: Sharon, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing you say in the book, uh, I am not remember which one. They uh, is is that God doesn't see us as a problem to be solved or as a broken thing to be fixed. And now I can't remember the second half of the sentence, <laughs> but as like beauty in process or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a really that 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 insight um, is something I would I need to maybe cross stitch and put put on the wall. Yeah,
0: it's it's really hard. I mean, this whole notion that you know we are his workmanship. Mm-hmm. Well, as Ephesians, that, that we we are his workmanship. That he is a craftsman. Uh-huh. That you know, the, like I, I mean, just like the, the Genesis writers are just like they're just mind—it's just mind-blowing how the, how how beautiful that story, you know, oral tradition would have been given, and then it, and then it, and then it's written. This whole notion that uh, you know they they don't open the the Bible doesn't open with an explanation of who God is.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: it it opens with a scene of somebody <laughs> making stuff. Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the movie opens and you come around the corner and the door opens and there you are inside, you know, the, the wood, the, the furniture makers shop. And that, yeah. that, that's how the movie opens. Like you, <laughs> and, and, and they don't say we're now about to show you that God is a woodmaker. Yeah. No, they just show you that this is, this is what God's up to. And then and part of that is like God said, we're going to make things that are like us. And the text doesn't read. And so therefore this means that people are supposed to then also make up, make wood pieces and make silver and da da, da. No, it just shows it. Like it's, it's like a beautiful, like they're, they're, they're great. They, they probably came and talked to you about how should we write this? You yeah. said like, you want a great plot and you want all these things, but you don't want it. You like, you just want to show, you don't want to tell too explicitly. Yeah. And this whole notion then that we were made to make things so that yes, we are his craftsmanship. And we are to echo that,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: in everything that we do, and a- and not and not and not just in those things that we designate as the natural creative domains of the world. Sure,
1: right, yeah, right. I mean, any way we're telling the truer story is a is a act of creativity. Yeah, um, yeah. In as you as you said to the the married couple, you know, what do you what beauty yeah. do you want to make in this marriage, right. Um, I, I want to talk about a passage that's related to what 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 you were just saying. Um, you say being loved by God readies us to make as God has made us and the world around around us. We're created to be known in order that we might further steward and create beauty, which in turn cycles back to deepen the relational process of being known. So, being loved, knowing that we're loved spurs us to, to creative work, Mm -hmm. um, being known and and, and you're not, are you in this situation is being known and being loved? Is that, are those synonymous? Are those interchangeable?
0: Right. I I would say so. in my, in in my language, because the the being known piece for me comes out of first Corinthians eight and then, and in first Corinthians 13, in that day that we will, we will know, even as we are fully known Uh about being loved. And that, so, and that refers to this this notion of being seen, sued, safe, secure in the way that we talk about that. Cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you're you're talking about a cycle here. We're created to be known. Mm-hmm. That we steward and create beauty, and that cycles back to, the, to deepen the natural process of being known. Can you? Mm-hmm. There's something about that cycle that I that that I know it's I know it's right, but I can't quite get the. Can you just talk more about about yeah. that cycle? About being known makes us more prepared to do work, good work.
0: So I, so so somebody. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, um, uh, you know, if it was Andrew or whoever it was that you know formed the rabbit room. Uh-huh. But in relationship, like you, like Andrew and, and you all, like you, you knew it. You you have some sense. You know, you you're known by each other,
1: uh-huh.
0: and you're like, let's do some creative work. Yeah. And so you do creative work and you create a thing called the rabbit room. And out of that rabbit room, things start to emerge every moment. Holy.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, other things. And that creative work now has people saying to me, Hey, Kurt, do you know about every moment? Holy.
1: Yeah.
0: And this creative piece, like it's, it's like a beautiful sunset. Like I, I, like I'm going to say Jr. like, like you come here, like you've got to look at this. Yeah beauty naturally draws us in such a way not just to the beauty but to each other and the beauty itself the creative act the books we make the movies that we make the, the music that we produce the poetry the it creates the opportunity for like the beauty itself becomes a conduit by which i' am even more deeply known and yeah. so what did you like of, like what did you like about every whole you know every moment holy tell, tell me about that uh-huh. And then they say, well, let me just read this, read this one passage. Yeah. And they do. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not just reading something that tells me something about the book. You're revealing even more of you to me that three minutes ago I wasn't aware of. And so you're allowing me, you're allowing yourself to be even more deeply known. by me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, and yeah. So, so yeah. What, one of our things we say at the Red Room is art nourishes community and community nourishes art. Which is yeah exactly. yeah yeah that's that's right another on. way of saying the cycle
0: right right, right. and I and I think the beautiful thing for me in all this is that like I think that, that 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 what happens in the world with what you just said community and art nourishing one another in the cycle uh, I think that is actually refl- is reflective of and reflected in uh, the operational mechanics of the brain. And the operational mechanics of the brain in relationships, the brain relationships and the brain within the brain itself. I, I think that all these things that are taking place are all kind of like uh, emergent of and reflective of our, our very bodies. Like we can't not do this when we're <laughs> flourishing.
1: Um, can you say one more sentence about that? What, what do you mean when you say um, this is reflected in the brain?
0: That notion that we were talking about before—this this sense of I'm, uh, there's a withness, yeah, this community—that then leads to me making sense of this community. I'm going to do things, and in order to create, I do have to have a way to manipulate. Uh-huh. If I'm gonna, if, if I'm gonna, like you know, make the new pottery, yeah, I'm gonna have to put it on the wheel and manipulate it. I'm gonna have to do something with it. But for the purpose of when that thing is all done, I'm going to give it as a gift, or somebody's going to purchase that, or where there's going to be some kind of microeconomic project going on someplace where new flourishing and connection is going to happen. And so, my left and my right hemisphere, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, this cycle, back and forth. Yeah. And the cycle of me doing things, then connecting with you, then with me, then with you, then with me, then with you. Uh-huh. Then we like to talk about the mind you know, being this emerging process that is both embodied and relational. It's not just a thing that I think with. Yeah, it is. much more global than that. Yeah. And so I, so what, so what you're talking about, the art and community nourishing each other to me feels very uh, like uh, it, it is an expression. It is an extension of how our minds
1: actually work. Yeah. Great. I mean, and, and uh, I love the way you talk about when, when a child makes, draws a picture, first thing they do is go give it to somebody, you yeah. know, would you put this on the refrigerator? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and that, that, you know, the, that creative work is, it, it has to have, it, it's about connection. You know, it's, it's not yeah. just, it's, it's, it's not me and my, my brain and I are going to make this, and my hands are going to make this picture for our own pleasure. It's, check out this thing I made. Right, right, right. And it's a, it's a both and
0: process. There is, there is beauty in the artifact itself. Mm -hmm. And, and the artifact is drawing people together around, around the refrigerator (laughs) as it were (laughs) in, in, and, and inspires us to then go and do the same. Yeah. And so the same that we do then also draws others together.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that way. Yeah. That's great. All right. I'm going to ask you another question that doesn't have a. a um, I'm giving up on trying to work the conversation. I'm just going to skip to it because <laughs> I wanna, before we run out of time, <laughs> I, I want to talk about this idea, that, and you're borrowing from Hans von Balthasar that our, you know, the typical way we talk about the the three transcendentals uh, truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm -hmm. baltazar says let's flip that around Mm -hmm. uh to talk to to talk about beauty goodness truth Mm -hmm. you co-sign that idea so let's talk about why do you why do you want to uh like to talk about beauty first and truth a a close third right yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. we're not not talking about beauty is important and truth isn't but but right but beauty is a way in
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, we Westerners like our, you know, we like, we don't like, you know, mystery makes us nervous. It, it's very, it's very unsettling. And so we like to have things lined up in kind of like this linear way. And, uh and, and as a, as a function of that, we're, you know, philosophy for the last 400 years um, has paid a ton of attention to what is true. Yeah. Right. Because Epistemology and all the things, right? What is yeah. what is true, and how do we know what is true, and how do we talk about that, and so forth, and so on. Uh, von Balthasar kind of turns all that stuff on its head, and you know, you know, I mean, I, the, the, you know, I, I of course, as uh, full disclosure, I, of course, I didn't read him directly. I have to read okay. <laughs> who yeah. reads von, von Balthasar right. and translate this stuff for us yeah. and helps us kind of like brings it to my level. Yeah. What was so stunning to me that really just like had me out of my shoes in, in reading this though, was this notion that what von Balthasar says, look, uh, the first thing that that happens in the world is that we sense things. Yeah. We don't. And, and, and so I, I was so struck by it because it's so consistent with the way the brain actually works. Yeah. First we sense, then we make sense of what we sense. Our right hemisphere is much more active in the first eighteen to twenty-four months of life. We're learning to sense. We're learning to hear my mother's voice, mm-hmm. the comfort of my mother, like of, of, uh, of her touch, of her feel, of all the arom- all the things. And so I sense things. Beauty is what I beauty first attracts me. As von Vambalzar says, beauty is what draws us to goodness. Yeah, and when we're with goodness long enough. That's what tells us what is true yeah. about the world. Truth isn't a thing that we first figure out and then from there decide, well, therefore that makes this good and this not good. And therefore we can then decide what beauty is and isn't. Yeah. But like, we, we get it. We, we, we know like, you know, the Academy notwithstanding when we're in the presence of beauty, like nobody has to, nobody asks any questions. Right. We don't wonder. Yeah. We, we sense it. We, we feel it we, because it is a sensation. It is undeniable. Yeah. And I think this is important. Uh, th- this is crucially important when it comes to psychotherapy work. When it's crucially important then to the, to the work of the artists because uh, in a world that is dominated by a left hemispheric posture toward the world, mm-hmm. like that, which is true. First, first, we have to figure all that stuff out first. First, we'll do that. In that world, it becomes easy as an artist to think, well, you know, w- what are all the hurdles that I first have to cross in order for, you know, my work eventually then to be qualified to be received? Yeah. To which we would say, no, 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 no. You, It's important to know that th- your work, uh, to the degree that it is crafted well, yeah, is going to be the thing that introduces people to life. Only afterward will they then make sense of it in a way that is consistent with the true way that the world actually is. And so this is why we need artists in the world. We need them to continue to remind us, to put us, like we we like to say, like, how are we practicing putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty? Now, this is not to suggest that making sense of things is unimportant, because there are lots of things that might look beautiful on the surface or at first glance, and they actually aren't. Right. So we do have to engage these other elements. Like there are things at first glance that look beautiful, shiny, so forth and so on, and are completely hollow and useless. So we do have to engage thinking. But it's more a matter of when we're taking care of patients, you know, they, you know, they come in with their with their depression and anxiety and their eating disorders and their and their trauma and so forth. And you know, they they want to think their way out of the problem. Yeah. And and we have to get them to pay attention to what first what they sense. But the problem for them is that their sense you know the way they perceive their senses has been so kind of shattered.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. That that whole perceptual mechanism has to be reworked. Yeah. In order for their thinking to eventually be able to get on board with that.
1: Huh. So you're you're inviting people to inhabit their the things they're sensing, the the world that that they that they access through the five senses rather than trying to live in the figuring right. out part right. of it. Right.
0: Right and, and- and that's a, and that's a tricky endeavor because it is through the five senses that they've been traumatized. Mm, yeah. Like I don't, yeah. I my, my trauma isn't an abstract, logical, linear precept. Like it, it is a yeah. felt physical thing. And if you're Perfectly. inviting me to pay attention to what I feel and to do that in the context of this therapeutic relationship my brain remembers that it is in the context of some intimate relationship that I was traumatized in the first place and I'm not stupid. So like, even though this is the path to healing, it's fraught with danger for me. Yeah. Again, again, which is why artists can be so helpful. Because if I say to someone, I just want you to, uh, listen to this piece of music, and i just want you to or i want you to read this short story
1: mm-hmm.
0: or i want you to just sit with this painting i don't i don't want you to analyze it there's no right or wrong i just want you to be with it yeah. tell me what you start to sense tell me where you sense it like they can be with a painting because the painting on the wall is like, it's like it's it can't it's not it can't do, do much to hurt you right yeah. but if they start to pay attention to it they, the painting real beauty when you look at one of Maka Fujimura's paintings, like real beauty, when you look at Mark Rothko's paintings, right. real beauty will start to speak to us because this is what the creation does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, right? and it doesn't matter who's made it. Like real beauty, like God's going to use it because this is who he is. And this is what he does. And it can often create the space and uh, literally the breathing space for people to begin to uh be curious again for the first time Mm. about their about what they sense uh and then also begin to take the risk of perceiving it in a trustworthy fashion because of course you know they trusted their sensations before and look where it got them
1: yeah 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 you talk about uh putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty um why did you choose to talk about putting ourselves in the path instead of pursuing? Tell me about that, that choice of phrasing instead of me pursuing beauty. I'm, you know, I'm I'm like the the basketball player who's, who's going to, you know, uh, trying to draw a charge from beauty.
0: Yeah. I I love that. That's great. You know, I, um, I, I think it comes, I get it. It's, I think this is the first time somebody, anybody has asked me that question. And it's, and it's a great question. And I, I don't know that I've, I mean, I think in in, in the back of my mind, I think it, it was there like, well, like, I'm going to, I'm going to choose that phrase instead of like, go, go find it. Uh, because I, I, I think my, my choice of that is that I really do believe uh, if, if it is true, if it is true that Jesus is, beauty in its ultimate form i didn't have to go find him he came for me and even blind bartimaeus put himself on the path Mm -hmm. even the woman who was hemorrhaging she was going to be on the path of where he was coming the roman centurion the priest who has the sick daughter yeah. The Romans and sure, like they find out where this guy is, and they're gonna put, mm-hmm. they're put themselves yeah. in his it's coming. Yeah. And I think we we don't imagine that God is coming for us. Yeah. We imagine like many Eastern, like I have to go, I have to go find my guru. I have to go do the choosing. I have to go find God. Christianity is about God coming to find us over and over and over and over and never leaving the room, never leaving the room. And my problem is like, I think I have to go find him. He would say, no, I'm actually here. You've been avoiding me. I've been, you know, I just want you to be on the path because like I'm always coming for you. And so part of this means like awakening to the fact that beauty is around us and has been around us and is coming for us all the time. We're just asleep. Yeah. I'm I'm just not paying attention to it. And so the point of uh imagine that beauty is coming from me. and god every like his mercies are new every morning because like he like <laughs> he exhausted them yesterday on me because <laughs> <laughs> and heaven knows i needed every single one of them and so they're, they're they're brand new and they're coming for me today yeah they're meeting me in my day and uh i again this is this is a this is a different way of uh, this is how i think so for instance you know, I I, I think I, I may have I don't know if I mentioned earlier to you that I'm I'm, I'm rereading C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, oh, yeah. and I mean, my goodness, like in 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 these works, the, the, like the imagination, my, my imagination is just being like refired in uh, like amazing ways. I read this when I was in college, and going back and reading it again. It just it just it it's eating my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but this would be the thing, like. I'm reading the book and reading the reading the books puts me in the path of things that are coming. Now, one might say, well, Kurt, you actually had to go find it because you had to go get the book and read the book. It's like, look, the book has been there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The book's been on my book's been on the path. Like it's coming. Like, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm just not getting on the path. Yeah. And so to me, it is a, it, it is an important reframe of our imagination about the, this, this reality. The beauty is coming for us. It is not just a thing that exists out there in the woods or out there in the museum. They become examples of beauty in the world, but that's not how beauty begins. Beauty begins with God crafting in Genesis 1 and 2. God coming for us yeah. in that way, always. And so I have to do the work of being curious about, where is the king coming today? Where is he coming? I got to put myself in the path for when he shows up. And be open. Love it. Thanks, Kurt. And, I think, that, and I, think that, I think that artists, I think the more we immerse ourselves in the work of artists, and this is where artists and writers and so forth, like their work, their work is so important. And like heralds, they're, 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 they're like heralds. They're, they're versions of John the Baptist, right? They're heralds yeah. of the King coming. And uh, when we make a practice of, in, uh, of immersing ourselves in beautiful artwork, all, all of that means
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, we're doing what we're what we're talking about, and and in in so doing, we activate, we fire, we till the soil of our imaginative processes, such that when I put the book down, when I put Flannery O'Connor down for the evening, and get up the next morning, and her words are banging around in my head, I sense and see something in the grocery store, yeah, that I otherwise like when I'm having an encounter with somebody like that that I otherwise wouldn't have happened if, if I don't put myself in the path of Flannery O'Connor.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, thanks for that, Kurt. i got to ask you one more question. Who are the yeah. writers who make you want to write?
0: Well, uh,
1: Lewis makes me want to write. Uh-huh.
0: Um, there is a British author that, who inspired me. Uh, her name is Susan Howitch. Okay. And she wrote a, a fascinating personal story, but she wrote a series of novels back in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh-huh. Uh of fiction um but a series of novels around a small a fictional British town and a parish. Okay. And mm-hmm. all around the Church of England and like and and, and there was there was no there was very uh, there, there were no human uh quagmires that she did not tackle in these these yeah. novels i just thought we're, were brilliant so she makes me want to write um i would say from balthazar but like i'm not really quite sure what that is that he did right we I mean, we, we you know we we we, we could call it writing but we might call it some some other stuff but like right. but i mean uh, uh um and and i would say like like so for instance like flannery o'connor mm-hmm. like i'm not an expert yeah. but she like i'm like oh my gosh like, how did, how did you say that? How did you come uh, up with that? How did you, how did you come up with that? And, uh, then I, I think of, um, you know, I, I, I think of like, uh, there's, there's certain, uh, I, I, I don't have a, a, a long history of being, uh, experienced with poetry, but I'm just beginning to do poetry work. And so, uh, the writing and poetry of Wendell Berry, for instance, is oh. really moving to me. Um, uh rilke um I, uh-huh. I i like you know i mean this is this is stuff that i'm even now at my i'm only now beginning to really uh get immersed in and um and then the the writing in song of andy gullihorn oh i hear you <laughs> absolutely
1: yeah yeah we yeah. Uh, I, we, we yeah we're out of time but but we should have talked about how andy's songs do all these things you're talking about (laughs) i i I just i mean he's
0: uh yeah 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 i i could go on i could go on on about him and that like for a long time i mean the first time i met andy i was at you know you're probably familiar with uh um laity lodge sure in, in texas that's the first time that i met him and i was a speaker there and uh I, I i didn't know of his work and he had played you know some of the opening stuff and i turned in my when i got up i was like oh my gosh like you're such an amazing theologian yeah. and i think he didn't really know what to do <laughs> I, first, so we we've had this on this has now been many many years ago this ongoing conversation about like i i just think he's he's just a beautiful theologian in the way that he tells stories so truly um and uh, you know, as we, I'm, when we get off, there will be other writers that I think about um, that have been so inspirational. Um, uh, Walter Brueggemann being one. Okay. Uh, but, and I, he writes about theology, he writes about other things, but like yeah. I, I just love the way he writes.
1: Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we better wrap it up there. Um, I feel like we could talk all day, and I wish we could. Right um, on. But thank you so much for this. has been a, thank a, you. a great way for me yeah, to It's a pleasure. 45 yeah. minutes. So, thank right on. You. Me too. Thank you. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com member. And thanks for listening. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.